Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ken Vanderwes, and I grew up in a very conservative Christian family. Uh, when I was growing up, I was told at various times in my growing up years uh, that blue jeans uh, were a symbol of rebellion and possibly taking of illegal drugs. And so I was not allowed to wear them even to attend a basketball game uh, at my Christian school. Uh, when I was growing up at various times, I was told that the movie theater uh, was a sin to go to the movie theater, uh, not least of all because we were instructed to avoid every appearance of evil. Has anyone been told that before? Um, and there was a distinct possibility that even if I were going to the movie theater to watch The Fox and the Hound, that someone might see my car there and infer that I was going to a much more dangerous and deadly and sinful uh, movie. Uh, when I was growing up in a very conservative Christian family, I was told uh, that rock music, uh, my kids don't even know what rock music is anymore, uh, there's all kinds of music, but rock music, I was told uh, that the beat in rock music runs counter to the natural rhythms of your heart, the God-ordained, and so it should not be listened to, uh, or anything that sounded even close uh, to it. I had a rather sheltered childhood, uh, you might have guessed. Why do I share that with you this morning? Uh, two reasons. Uh, one is that I hope that you'll have sympathy on me. Uh, and say that, man, he's come a long way, you know, from where he started. You know, there's maybe some hope uh, for him. Uh, but secondly, because the, the upbringing that I had had some unintended side effects, uh, that the, the adults in my life who uh, uh, told me these things, uh, they had a certain goal in mind uh, when they fenced off certain behaviors and actions and things. Um, but there were some unattended side effects in the what they taught me about sin. And the reality is that what you think about sin uh, has a profound impact on how you uh, respond to temptation and to sin. Now, the unattended side effect of uh, the way that I was raised is it did create some confusion because there were some rules that, to be honest, even as a kid, they didn't really make sense uh, to me. Um, that it seemed to be cordoning off behaviors that seemed innocent and certainly not contrary to anything that I could see in my understanding of Scripture. Uh, secondly, the, the consequence was that, uh, that sometimes I wondered if, if sin is really that bad, if, if all of these things, you know, some things that clearly that the, the Bible talks about, but then all these other things that were added to it uh, are all sin. Is sin really that bad? Is it really that dangerous? And even a hint of Man, it seems kind of exciting, some of those things uh, that other people do. Uh, that in the home that I was raised, in the church, in the school that I was raised, that I was told were wrong. Is sin really that bad? Uh, this morning we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to talk about uh, the progress of sin. 
Uh, we're going to try to think rightly, think biblically uh, about uh, sin. Uh, now, to be honest, Genesis chapter 6, I would encourage you to turn there because uh, there are parts of Genesis 6 that are very familiar and there are parts that are not. Uh, to be honest, Genesis chapter 6 is, has some strange things uh, going on. And we are going to touch on those. Uh, but the overarching purpose of my message uh, is to talk about seven ways that we get sin wrong. Uh, maybe not you personally, but as a, as a culture, as a people. And, and I would say that it even is true for us in the church that sometimes the way that we think about sin can be uh, wrong. Uh, but we want to look about at sin in light of Genesis 6 and see seven ways that we get sin, sin wrong. Uh, let's begin. We're going, to read, uh, we're going to read through verse 13. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man or contend with man forever. For he is flesh and his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Uh, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they were, bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, uh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In verse 14, make yourself an ark. He ends. Genesis chapter 6. Uh, the second half of the chapter is a familiar story, the story of Noah. Uh, but it begins in unfamiliar territory. Uh, confusing uh, territory. Who exactly are these sons of God uh, who came down to the daughters of men? Who are the Nephilim who were on the earth in those days? Mighty men of old, uh, the men uh, of renown. Uh, is it a little bit confusing? Does it say, what, what exactly is going on here? Uh, who exactly are these Nephilim? Well, let, uh, let's deal with that first and foremost. Uh, before we get to the main thrust of what the author is saying and what God intends for us to hear. Uh, there's three main ideas of who these sons of God are that came down to the daughters of men. Uh, the first is um, 
look, if we wanted to ask that question, we say, what are, where else is the word sons of God used? And we also see this terminology in Job chapter 1 and 2. Uh, do you remember Job, uh, the first few chapters of Job? Uh, it says God is holding court in his throne room, and it says the sons of God came to him, and Satan also, Lucifer also, came before him and, and brought up the matter of his servant Job. Uh, the word sons of God is used in this case to refer to, uh, seems pretty clearly, angelic beings who were coming to report uh, before uh, God. And so, uh, one school of thought in coming to Genesis chapter 6, uh, it says, you know what, if the sons of God, uh, elsewhere is used referring to angelic beings, what we have in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, uh, is uh, angelic beings taking on human form uh, in order to marry uh, human women, the daughters of, of men, and have children to them. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? You don't think it's crazy? Uh, it's, it's kind of odd. There's something that, that grates against uh, uh, sensibilities. We say, how exactly could uh, this, this be? We don't fully understand it. And so others have suggested uh, other possibilities uh, that this is. Uh, sons of God is also sometimes used of human beings. Uh, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, uh, the people of Israel are referred to as sons of God. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, Matthew 5, 9, Luke 20, 36, and other places, uh, that those who are faithful to God are called his children. They are sons uh, of God. Romans 8, 14, uh, it is a mystery that we are called the sons of God, the righteous followers of God. And so this raises two other theories of what exactly, who exactly are these sons of God and the Nephilim in these days, or as the King James uh, translates this, uh, giants, or the New Living Translation, giant Nephilites. Uh, some have suggested that these are talking about uh, people from ruling and royal families in those days. Uh, but these rulers were not content with God's law, and so when they saw other attractive daughters of men, uh, they took them as their wives. Uh, they took more than one of them at their wives. Uh, in this case, those who are seeing these as uh, rulers of men, referred to as uh, the sons of God, uh, they are uh, taking harems, multiple wives, and so the sin uh, is polygamy. Uh, in the first case, if this is indeed angels, the sin is that of, of crossing divine boundaries that God has set between uh, the spirit being of angels and human beings. Um, or if these are dynastic rulers in those days, uh, then polygamy is the sin. Could that be uh, what this is talking about? A third possibility. A third possibility is that uh, some see in this a mark of between the righteous sons of God and perhaps the unrighteous daughters of uh, the daughters of men. Uh, for some, although it's not spelled out specifically, and this is one of the weaknesses of this case, is that they see the descendants of Seth referenced in the sons of God. These are uh, the faithful son of Adam and his children, whose genealogy we studied uh, last week uh, in Genesis chapter 5, uh, that these, some of these godly descendants of Seth were taking on ungodly wives uh, from the descendants of Cain, uh, Cain who had rebelled against God and murdered his brother. 
and was a, a wanderer on the earth. They took their wives. And so uh, in this case, some see the sons of God as godly Sethites, uh, the daughters of men as ungodly Canaanite, Canaanite uh, wives, and the sin is the, uh, the forbidden union between those who are following God, taking wives of those who do not believe and follow uh, God. Hmm, it's a hard case. Uh, I won't ask you to vote on your own interpretation, although I'm tempted uh, uh, as such. Uh, how do we make sense of this riddle uh, of who the sons of God are? Uh, in general, when I approach Scripture, uh, I believe the safest way to interpret Scripture is to interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture. Uh, where else, uh, what other clues we might have uh, to what is happening in Genesis chapter 6? And I'd invite you to turn uh, to the end of your Bible, to the second to the last book, the book of Jude. Uh, in Jude, uh, verse, uh, a, single ch- a book of, with only one chapter, Jude, verses 6 and 7, uh, we read the following. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, uh, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment uh, of eternal fire. So here in Jude, uh, once again, seemingly out of the blue, without a lot of context or explanation, we have a uh, we have a description of angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, uh, but left their proper dwelling. And then it says that they are now in chains, in darkness, until the judgment. Uh, and then in verse 7, we have a statement that says, it's the Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. Uh, to be honest, as I read Genesis chapter 6, and I read Jude uh, verse 6, Uh, The most natural biblical interpretation, comparing Scripture to Scripture, is that this is quite possibly, uh, most likely, uh, that this is an example of angels uh, in a way that I don't fully understand and can't explain to you. Uh, We're allowed to take on human form and marry human wives and bear children. Uh, Those children, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, they seem to be uh, called men of Ramon. They They were mighty men. Uh, back in Numbers, they are described uh, when the uh, Israelites came to the promised land is that there were, there were giants in the land, like Goliath, uh, that they were um, exceptional uh, in their way because of their parentage. Uh, now, to be honest, uh, a case could be made for other explanations, uh, but this is where I stand uh, until, until the stronger case is made. But the reality is, regardless of how you interpret this passage, uh, the point uh, that uh, the author is trying to make does not change. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, he is describing a world uh, that is spinning away from God in rebellion to his rule in his ways. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, in verse 5. And in this we see uh, the first thing that way that we often get sin wrong. One way that we get sin wrong is we believe 
when we believe that if I do what comes naturally, it can't be sin. If I do what comes naturally, if I let my conscience be my guide, uh, if I do what, what just seems normal in our culture, I'm doing what everyone else is doing, it seems natural, it can't really be sin. Uh, well, in Genesis 6, we see uh, folks who saw uh, an attractive daughters of man and uh, took them as their wives. And God said, no, this was uh, breaking boundaries that God has set. Uh, doing what comes naturally is not a guarantee that we are choosing uh, what is right. Uh, does that mean I can't trust my heart? I'm saying, yes, that is absolutely the truth. But many people believe that that's not the case. They believe that, uh, you know what, as long as I don't feel guilty, I must be doing all right. Uh, is, our tr is our heart a reliable guide? I would suggest no. Uh, you know, about a, uh, I was thinking about how to illustrate this, about a, and a, the illustration that came to my mind is something that happened to me about a year and a half ago. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. Uh, if you're not familiar with the name, it's that annoying disease that means that you can't eat flour uh, anymore. There, some sympathy from Jared uh, over here. I appreciate it. Uh, sympathy's hard to get here uh, today, evidently. Uh, uh, you know what? For most of my life, my doctors say I had this disease, uh, but I, the only symptom that I had was that I could eat whatever I wanted and I would never gain weight. Seriously, that was the only symptom. Some of you have known me for a long time, and you always assumed that I was really healthy uh, because I was thin. You did, and that wasn't the case. Uh, my wife is here. She'll attest that my, my eating habits were not always the best. In fact, she might attest that my eating habits were often uh, not uh, the best. And because I had this disease and my body wouldn't digest half of the food that I ate, I would never gain weight. They were good years. They were good years. They're over. They're over now. Uh, that is the case. You know, my heart, uh, and that becomes apparent. And so what happens when you, when you don't gain weight and you eat whatever you want, it encourages you to eat whatever you want until that stops. And then all of a sudden you realize you're normal now, uh, like everyone else. But the reality is, that disease, actually, look at that, I'm already blaming something else. Uh, it's quite easy for my heart to convince me that a 16-ounce bag of Almatador chips is a single serving size <laughs> to be eaten in one sitting. Um, it was easy for my heart to convince me that a bowl of Lucky Charms and a glass of chocolate milk and a bowl of ice cream is a very nice bedtime snack. You don't believe me, but it's true, my wife. Uh, is here. Uh, my heart convinces me all sorts of things are, are, are good and right, but they're not. Because when Adam and Eve fell, my thinking and my feelings and my will got corrupted and twisted. They don't measure things rightly and properly. And on top of that, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and so it's no surprise that his ministers also masquerade as angels of light to deceive us. And so 
doing what comes naturally or normally does not protect us from sin. God has given us other resources, the resources of his word to guide us. Uh, This is what it is to love God and love your neighbor. Uh, This is what it is to live uh, a life that pleases God and is in tune uh, with our creator. Uh, He also gives us his spirit. Uh, If we are a believer, uh, the spirit is given uh, to work hand in hand with our conscience and the word of God to help us to understand what is right. Uh, Because the reality is, if I say, you know what, what comes naturally, what's normal, what everyone else is doing, where my heart leads me, it will oftentimes lead me astray. It's one of the seven ways that we get sin wrong. Secondly, there are folks who believe that sin, that sin was invented by Christians to control people. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Uh, either God or Christians, that, you know what, this is just an attempt uh, to, uh, to control people. Uh, you don't like to see people having a good time, so Christians invite rules to, to cordon off certain behaviors from what is uh, morally acceptable. Uh, there's many people that believe uh, that. Uh, to be honest, there are some kids growing up in Christian homes, like the home that I was raised in, and said, maybe that is, maybe... Maybe that's how right and wrong was determined. Whenever there was something that was fun, uh, then we made a rule against it so we couldn't do that uh, anymore. And it made those things very attractive. Uh, Was sin invented by Christians to control people? Uh, Look back in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. He regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You know, in the middle of that phrase, there's something that that seems natural and normal if you've been at church in a while, but it's something that is often forgotten, uh, maybe in church, but certainly in our broader culture. Uh, And that is that all of God that happens, anything that happens in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to have to deal with the fact that, that God is going to send a worldwide flood to judge sin on this earth. The only way that makes sense is to tie it back to creation that God made this world. That's why creation is so vitally important. It only makes sense if he made it. It is not as though that humans were existing uh, here, minding their own business, and God all of a sudden interrupted because it looked like they were having too much fun. This was a world that God made. Every tree, every blade of grass, every piece of land that we stand on, every a bit of sky and cloud and rain, everything comes from God's hand and we are placed in it. And as a result, the definition of sin comes not from what seems natural or normal, not what, what seems best to me, but from the one who created it. It makes all the difference in the world. Uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, of, I used to have a house here in Kent City uh, on East Street, and uh, the snow reminded me this week uh, that when I lived there, every winter, um, every winter at my old house, uh, someone would, at some point in the winter, they would slalom through all of the yards on our street with their car, weaving in and out of the trees. Isn't that nice uh, that they would do that? And so we'd wake up some pristine snowy morning, and there would be tire tracks through all our yard and our, my nice little gully on the side of it. It was very, uh, it was very annoying. Um, I used to dream of ways of getting even with them. 
Uh, I sincerely wanted to do things with nails and boards that probably would have backfired on my own children uh, inevitably, so uh, I didn't do them. Uh, but when somebody drives through your yard, isn't that exasperating? Doesn't it make your, your temperature rise and then something boil, uh, boil inside? But you know what the reality is? I drive through my own yard all the time. I drive in my yard. What's the problem with a vehicle driving through uh, over grass? If done right, most of the time I don't have divots uh, in my yard. What is the difference? Uh, the difference is I own the land. I mow the grass. I fertilize it. It is mine. And as a result, um, I set the boundaries for what's appropriate and right in my little corner uh, of the world. And so it is with God. This world is God. Uh, the good news is he rules it not arbitrarily, uh, randomly choosing or whimsically deciding what is right and wrong, but in accord with a character that is marked by goodness and grace and mercy. It's routed in his righteous character. Uh, but it is and always is his world. Some people, it's hard for them to get it. And so when they read the story of Noah in a flood, they say, why would God destroy the world? Uh, why would uh, so many lives being lost? Uh, if, if the problem is violence, as we read, why does God use a violent act uh, in response to it? Uh, but that is a question that makes God an equal player in the earthly drama. It's like a parent who raises their voice to say enough to their bickering children. They aren't just another combatant in the struggle for supremacy. Uh, their parent is the source of the family, the provider, and the rightful authority there. And so, in a sense, yes, the rules are different. Uh, he is the creator. The amazing thing, the gracious thing with God, is that he treats us with respect as our creator. We have tremendous freedom because he is good. But we are still made creatures. Uh, the amazing thing is God in his grace gives us the ability to choose. And he honors those choices by let us experience the consequences of those choices. Uh, but even in the freedom of our choice, we are still made creatures. We and our culture has worked hard to forget, to deny, and to ignore that. Uh, but when we lose sight of God as our creator, we say, ah, why, why would someone make uh, these rules? Why are they trying to control... But the reality is God is one who has designed this world and he knows how it operates best. And his rules are designed for us to live together in the best way possible because the, he is the creator and he knows best. Sin was not invented by Christians or by God merely to control people, but for what is best uh, by the creator. Seven ways that we get sin wrong. Number three, there are many people believe that sin is the result of bad circumstances, bad upbringing, hard breaks, uh, difficult challenges that we have in life. Uh, there are many people who believe that sin is a, ultimately we, we, we find the cause in someone's family background or the, uh, uh, the experiences that they, the traumatic experiences that they have had, and that, that sin can be explained. Uh, by the circumstances of someone's life. And, and while there is some virtue in that approach, uh, because 
the actions of others do influence and affect us. Uh, the result is if I believe that sin is a result of bad circumstances, that I tend to believe that if I just apply enough education um, or uh, of legislation that we can control, that if we, that if we just had enough classes on sensitivity or bullying, we could tr- have people be loving to each other uh, all the time, that it's a matter of education. Uh, but Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says, uh, When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Uh, He is saying that that this evil that works itself out ultimately comes from inside us. It's not something forced upon us from the outside. That's why Luke uh, 6.45, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, Why again in Mark 7.20-23, he says, Uh, It is not what comes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of a person. Uh, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. A sin... Now, while there may be some virtue in explaining causes and reasons, ultimately uh, they come from the choices that arise from a heart uh, that seeks its own will versus God's will, uh, that says, what I think is best, I will do, rather than constrained by what God uh, thinks is best. Uh, Sin is not merely something that comes uh, as a result of our circumstances. Uh, It is something that is a result of the choices that we make that arise from somewhere in our hearts. Uh, The reality is sometimes we have split motives. Sometimes we are as, uh, sometimes, often, we are, as uh, Paul said, divided in heart, uh, longing to do what is right, but finding ourselves doing what is wrong. Uh, But even in that conflict, uh, there is a part of my heart that chooses when I, chooses evil. And it is not a result of a response because my wife wasn't kind enough to me uh, or because my children tried my patience. Um, It is a result of something that is inside of me. A sin is my responsibility. Uh, That's why Paul, or David, in Psalm 51, his great prayer of confession, he says, Lord, it is me. Uh, It is me and it is against you uh, that I have sinned. And when I mistake in that, when when I make a mistake in this way of thinking about sin, uh, in some ways I, I open the door Uh, to lessening my responsibility to choose and to choose rightly. Uh, Sin is not a matter of merely bad circumstances. Uh, Number four. Number four, ways that we think wrongly about sin, the ways we get sin wrong. Uh, Sometimes we believe that sin is true freedom, living life to the full. Uh, That that sin is, that's really, that it is really living. That's what, uh, that's what the best life is. In fact, it looks like they're having a good time, doesn't it? Uh, how many of you would say sometimes it looks like people who are ignoring God look like they're having a good time? Would anyone raise their hand? All right, good. You've not been overly Christianized that you're, not, that you're unwilling to admit. Uh, that it seems like, that is, there are some people who are too Christian to admit that, to say, no, no, they're not. They're faking it. Um, but the reality is, that there is a pleasure and joy, there's an attractiveness uh, to sin. 
And so some people believe, you know what, maybe that's true freedom, the ability to do uh, what I want, whatever it is. But Romans, or Genesis chapter 6 uh, tells us a different story. It says, well, it may seem that there is um, there's good that comes from choosing my way over God's way. Uh, if we look down in uh, verses 11 and 12, uh, listen to how uh, the biblical author describes what is happening on earth. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now, there's a word there that appears three times. It's the word corrupt. Um, it speaks to something that is fundamental about sin. Uh, that sin is not uh, a uh, sin is not neutral, nor is it a, a positive value. Uh, sin is something that is a corruption of something that exists. It's parasitic. It requires sin. It, it defiles something that was pure. It mars something that was perfect. It corrupts that something that was good. Uh, when we think of a corrupt politician, we think of someone who uh, was elected to a role uh, in order to serve the public. Uh, but when they're corrupted, uh, that purpose is twisted and now they're serving usually their own purpose, their own good over and above those who would put them in office. Uh, that is what corruption does. If I have a corrupted computer file, it had a purpose that it's supposed to work in my computer. It's supposed to accomplish, and I don't really understand what that purpose is, uh, but when that file becomes corrupted, it's no longer to serve its intended a purpose. There's something wrong. Uh, it is broken. It is not a natural positive value. A sin always takes something that is good and mars it, defiles it, it corrupts it. A marriage, which is intended as a self-sacrificing union in which each, each seeks the best for the other. That's what marriage, how God designed it, the Creator made it to work. Uh, instead, when sin enters in, it says, no, marriage is a vehicle for meeting my needs. Uh, or, Perhaps worse, it's a battle for supremacy. Uh, and when my needs aren't met, then I have a, a right uh, to anger and to lash out and to break uh, the relationship. A sin corrupts something that is good. It has the appearance of freedom. I'm doing what I want. Uh, but the end result is brokenness and pain uh, because it goes against God's uh, design. Uh, sin is not true freedom. Uh, very similar to this, a, a, fifth, uh, a fifth way that we get sin wrong is sometimes people believe the world would be a better place if we just allowed everyone the freedom to do what they want. If we just let everybody do what they want, wouldn't the world be a better place? Uh, really, I think we voted on that this past Tuesday. Anybody notice that? If we just let people do what they want, We'll have less people in jail. People will be happy uh, if we just allow people to do uh, what they want. That freedom, uh, in this way of thinking, is the ultimate good. As long as I can do what I want and I don't harm someone else, usually people add that caveat, uh, then the world will be a better place. Let me ask you a question. Is there any place that everybody doing exactly what they want 
works well. Uh, imagine the playground uh, at your local elementary school. Uh, let's remove all the adults uh, from the scene and just say, you know what, kids, just do whatever you want. Kids will. Uh, they will do whatever they want. And you, knew, you know who will ultimately end up making the rules in the playground? Whoever's the biggest and the strongest will tend to make the rules. Dale likes that. You're the biggest. You were the biggest and the strongest, weren't you, Dale? He smiled when he said that. Uh, you know what? Uh, someone is going to set the, the, the tenor uh, for it. That, that, that freedom, ultimately, it breaks down. Uh, because, uh, ultimately, when I choose my way over God's way, uh, I'm choosing a corrupted, a broken path. Uh, a path that leads to inequality and brokenness and pain. Um, that's why when we, when we look at the example of when uh, the Lord saw wickedness of man was great on the earth, what does it look like? What is the, the, the ultimate case that, uh, that God gives to example of what is broken and wrong? Is he says in verse 11, uh, the earth was corrupt and the earth was filled with violence. The inevitable result uh, is a violence. We don't see that in our world, do we? Uh, we don't see people sending pipe bombs uh, to people they disagree with politically. Uh, shootings uh, in a bar. Uh, the strange thing is somehow we read those and it becomes political. It becomes a political. And we don't take a moment to say the tragedy of blood spilled on the ground is the result of people doing what they want. Uh, the world would not be a better place if we allowed everyone the freedom because it ultimately, uh, when sin has its way, it results in brokenness, corruption, and ultimately uh, violence towards others. But instead, if we believe that people were made in the image of God and worthy of his respect, as Genesis 1 and 2 teach us, if we learn that life uh, should be held in high regard, uh, not just uh, because uh, we ought to be nice to other people who are like us uh, out of empathy, but because we were made by God and will be accountable to him, all of a sudden there is a, a standard and a rule to live by. The world would not be a better place if we just had the freedom to do uh, what we want. That's five ways that we get sin wrong. Uh, just two more. Just two more. Number six, there are many people believe that believe that God loves punishing sin. Uh, perhaps it's because of some Christians or preachers who have seemed to take delight in pointing out the sins of others and condemning them. Uh, but there are many people who believe that, you know what, that it pleases God's heart to judge sins. Uh, verse 6 in our chapter, it says, The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That God was grieved by what he saw. Uh, now, some people see in this a theological conundrum. How could a God who knows everything experience regret? He knows what's going to happen. Uh, and so this is a, this is a grand puzzle. Uh, I choose to believe what it says at face value, uh, that God, having made this world, is emotionally involved in what happens to it, that, that he cares and it matters to him. And when he sees the pain in real time in our world, he experiences great uh, regret, and there is grief in it. 
And it is out of this that he says there needs to be limits on it before my creation destroys itself uh, even more. Uh, Verse 12, uh, for all flesh had corrupted their way. Uh, They're corrupting their way, resulting in violence. Uh, God enters history and he interacts with humanity in ways that we can understand. And God does care. Uh, He does not delight in punishing sins. Ezekiel 33, 11 tells us, As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Uh, God is patient he delays in punishing sin. There is not an immediate response because as 2 Peter 3.9 tells us he is waiting for us to come to repentance. His desire is mercy. You know, in fact, we really do see that even in these opening chapters of the Bible. Uh, in these first six chapters, we probably see three big sins. Uh, Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, uh, Cain and Abel, uh, and then here uh, in Uh, Chapter 6, the sin that resulted in the flood. Uh, And even in each of these cases, even as God is executing judgment and pronouncing judgment, there is a similar pattern that we see. Uh, God confronts sin and he pronounces a righteous judgment on those who have rebelled against him. But before he enacts that judgment, he interjects grace and mercy while at the same time maintaining his holiness and justice. Let me explain. Uh, Adam and Eve, when he catches Adam and Eve and confronts them with their sin, uh, he pronounces judgment on them. Uh, But then it says God sacrificed animals for them uh, so that they would have clothes to wear. And I believe in order to show them that the significance of sin and the path to forgiveness and restoration. Judgment, but grace and a way forward Uh, even in the midst of their punishment. Uh, In the case of Cain and Abel, God catches Cain. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Uh, His blood is crying out to me. Cain, you're going to be judged. Uh, But God, I'll be a... Everyone will kill me if they find me. And God says, no, I'll put a mark on you to preserve you. I will extend grace to you, uh, even in the midst of punishment, uh, because I long for you to have a path to repentance. Uh, And then here... In Genesis chapter 6, uh, in a sense, there is, there's judgment and wickedness and a flood is coming and God's going to destroy the face of the earth. Uh, but God still looks and he finds Noah, a man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God provides a way for him to be rescued, to be saved, he and his family, for the continuation uh, of the human race. Even in the midst of judgment, God extends mercy because his heart is always to give opportunity for repentance and restoration. Uh, If we believe uh, that God loves punishing sin, that he takes delight in it, we misread the heart of our God. Finally, number seven. There are some people who believe, as we've talked about sin, and I recognize it's it's a heavy message when we talk about sin, Uh, that some people believe God is impossible to please. So why try? Uh, To be honest, I don't think that's just an outside-the-walls-of-the-church issue. I think it's inside. That many people say, you know what, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, Even if I'm saved, 
Uh, but I never really think God is pleased uh, with me uh, because I know how often I fail, how often I fall short uh, of, of what God wants me to do. Uh, and so we say, is God really impossible to please? And for some, it reaches the point where you say, you know what, I'm just tired of trying. It's just too hard. Uh, I'm just going to do... I'm just going to do what I want to do because it's not worth trying. In the case of Noah, I think we, we see an example uh, that says, you know what, is it impossible to please God? Uh, it says Noah, in verse 8, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, and then there's a threefold description uh, of Noah that helps us to understand the type of man who he was. In verse 9 it says he was a righteous man. Uh, this means he did uh, what is right? Well, it was interesting as I was, uh, as I was studying, a commentator noted that uh, the word for sin in Hebrew, uh, there's two forms of it that are just different by one extra consonant. And one means an occasional sinner, and the other means a habitual sinner, depending on the extra consonant uh, in this Hebrew word. Uh, righteousness isn't like that. Uh, there's only one word in one form of it. Uh, because righteousness is habitually righteous, habitually choosing to do what is right. And Noah was a righteous man. Uh, secondly, it says he was blameless in his generation. Uh, this word blameless is also used of the sacrifices, a lamb that the people of Israel uh, would bring. Uh, the idea was that they're wholesome and sound. And so it was with Noah. The idea of blameless is not sinless perfection, uh, but there is a, a integrity to his life uh, that accusations do not stick to him. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And then a simple sentence, Noah walked with God. Noah fellowshiped with God. Uh, this is what Pastor Chris said so well uh, last week in talking about Enoch, that he had a real relationship with God. Uh, there's one other verse that I'd ask you to go to. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 7, uh, that fleshes out the story, because to be honest, when we read some of the Old Testament heroes, we say, you know what, man, Noah must have been, man, he was something special. Uh, he was at very least far better than I could ever hope to be. But in Hebrews 11, this chapter about faith, it says, by faith Noah, verse 7, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, yes, uh, but he also became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. My point is, is that Noah is a righteous man, but it was a righteousness that grew out of his faith and trust in God. And that is the same path that we have to find favor and pleasure with God. Uh, that when we trust God imperfectly, yes, sometimes failing, Yes, uh, but when we put our faith in God, he honors that effect and gives us the gift of his own son's righteousness. And when he looks at us, he sees his righteousness, not our failing. And like Noah, it is possible for us to find favor with God. Uh, God is not an impossible taskmaster, taskmaster to please. So how do you think about sin? Do you think rightly about sin? Uh, have you made categories of sin that aren't really? 
Uh, or, as I suspect is more likely the case, uh, do we explain away sin uh, or perhaps give up uh, the struggle uh, with sin? How we think about sin profoundly impacts how we respond to temptation and how we, uh, it affects our walk with God. You know, as I was, I was thinking about how to conclude this message, I was reminded of a, a book I read a while back, uh, written by Tom Brokaw, The Greatest Generation. Uh, the Greatest Generation tells the story uh, of the generation that came of age uh, right before and during World War II. Uh, it was the generation that uh, stormed uh, the beaches on D-Day, uh, that uh, defeated Nazism, uh, that rebuilt Europe, uh, that came back to our country and ushered in a, a very prosperous era. And it's often referred to as the greatest generation. What I remember from reading that book, though, is that when the author interviewed folks who had accomplished really amazing things, amazing sacrifices that they had made, uh, that they didn't see it as something great that they had done. They just did what they were asked to do. Genesis chapter 6, the last verse says, Noah, what kind of righteous man was he? Uh, God asked him to build an ark. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. And it said, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Uh, the faith that, had, that Noah had resulted in him doing what God asked him uh, to do. He entered back into the challenge. And that is what I want to leave with you today. Uh, if you have perhaps said, you know what, I'm tired of trying. Maybe it's just in one area of your life. Say, I'm giving up. To say, you know what? God has given me the resources. He has given me uh, a path through repentance to come back to him. Don't give up. Re-enter the fray. Simply do what God has commanded to do. Now let's pray.